4: If you're loving this podcast, we invite you to go deeper and partner with us in our work by joining the Gravity Commons, our online community of practice for connecting and learning together.
0: As a member of the Gravity Commons, you get access to live podcast recordings with upcoming guests, as well as other opportunities to connect and learn together with us in real time.
1: Including learning labs, member meetups, discussion boards, online courses, and our practitioner podcasts. Go to gravityleadership.com slash commons to find out more. See you in the commons.
0: Good day, everybody. Hey. 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 Christy and Ben are joining me. My name's Matt, and you're listening to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. (sighs) Is that it? Is that all I got to do? There's more? There's more. I we got to so. do more, yeah, right? No, was we gotta... Well, just kind of
4: introduce the the episode. I think there's
1: and... an introduction here. Yeah.
0: Okay. Just, you know. All right. Well, uh, my name's Matt, and I'm 45. I live in Indianapolis. Is this what you mean?
1: I kind of wish that they could watch you right now. Oh,
0: what? Because... <laughs> it, okay, so we're recording I this. I can't
1: stop giggling.
0: Yeah. Because... <laughs> we're recording this on St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> and if you've been listening to our podcast leading up to this, the previous ones, Christy has been talking about um, this—the this psychological warfare she does with her kids about with breakfast cereals. <laughs> and we all, ate it today. Lucky charm. It's awesome. <laughs> um, and other and other sundry things. And so I actually St. Patrick's Day is one of the two days of the year that I dress up. And I. And
1: you are dressed up, my friend. I, I
0: know. I yeah. got it. You know what? It's our date day. So my wife and I have. Thursday oh. lunch dates, oh. and it was a pro, <laughs> it was a protracted four hour conversation about whether or not I could wear my gold pot of gold fanny pack uh, to our lunch mm-hmm. date. She and does did not. She say yes. She does not like attention being drawn to herself. <laughs> right,
1: poor Sharon. Just tell, Which, just
4: tell her all the attention will be on me. Right. No. Yeah, you won't have any of it if I if I had a time machine. <laughs> well, let's
1: let's help our listeners get a, an understanding of what you look like because all right, you yeah, have you a,
4: describe this here
1: a green T-shirt
0: mm-hmm. it says
4: what uh,
1: with it that says, says Irish, Irish American. American. Yep. And then you have gold. No, no, sorry. You have well, you have a gold fanny pack, gold right uh, fanny here. but Hi. you have yeah, like
0: there she is. <laughs>
1: you have rainbow suspenders. Yep. Um. That no, got are attached.
0: A, I got a cup holder here attached to my oh, fanny pack. A, gold, so I can, wow. a gold, cup
1: gold cup holder. Put a little and drink in a, there. And like a green kind of leprechaun, leprechaun hat. hat. yeah. Oh,
0: yeah. yeah. And uh, I got a little button somewhere. You can't see the best part of my outfit, Christy. I can't.
1: You're right. Mm. What What am I missing? Uh, oh. Green
4: green and gold s- shoes.
1: Yes, some some very fun sporty green and gold shoes so listeners if, hopefully mm-hmm. you can imagine that in your in your head but mm-hmm. I'm looking at that on a screen and I keep giggling because it's funny to me okay can I just say but that, it's that I, St. Patrick's Day today
0: as you mm-hmm. talked about my outfit in a in a very um supportive and encouraging way I felt like I was a small child on a kids show program and you were like one of the adults trying to be nice to me because I wore something weird <laughs> sort of felt like what are you wearing johnny mr rogers role oh you decided to wear your underwear outside your pants
4: that's very creative johnny
1: yes (laughs) i want to know what's the other holiday that you dress up for
0: uh arbor day no uh (laughs)
1: halloween halloween oh of course of course of course Okay. yes yeah. Okay. Well, Holy. I'm glad that you had fun, and I hope Sharon wasn't too embarrassed. Well, here's All the what attention we did. Was on you.
0: Here's what we did. We went to a place with outdoor seating because it's beautiful here today, and we agreed that she would go straight to the outdoor table, and I would go order the food and bring it to her. This was the <laughs> compromise. So the only time we were together was outside at the table, and there were very few people around us. Okay. Okay. So that's how we. Kind that of a was the compromise. clandestine date. Does yes. she
1: wear any green on a day like today? She wore a green T-shirt.
0: She okay. just decided she looked not like a normal <laughs> being a good sport. Yeah, <laughs> enough not to Sorry, get pinched.
1: I'm not saying you're abnormal.
0: No, I get it. We're on this kids' show. You're Barney, <laughs> special, and I'm the kid. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're say. just special. He's special in his own way, and I'm the kid <laughs> with the permanent Kool-Aid mustache. I get it. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, oh, you guys. Oh, fun man. times. Fun times. No. Uh, yeah, it was a good lunch and she didn't get embarrassed and i got to be ostentatious and this is how you stay married for almost 21 years
1: come on it's awesome don't mess with
0: what works That's right. she 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 lets me wear ostentatious outfits in public and i let her sit at a table and not be with me while i order food <laughs> mm-hmm. as christ loves a church it works. easy peasy <laughs>
1: <laughs> um oh my goodness. Speaking of right, loving well, Speaking podcast. of Loving and tr-
0: Speaking of Loving the Church.
1: There
0: today today we Get are talking about yeah. Melissa Flower Bixler's book, How to Have an Enemy. And uh in astute listeners, longtime listeners will note, probably remember that in the past we've done best of like five best books I read in a year. And the end of 2021 was just crazy busy for us. Like, we, as a ch- church, we moved buildings, and, and we were building the Gravity Commons, and so it was just a nutso time. So we didn't actually release mm-hmm. the best books we read in 2021, except I wrote up—I I did work that was not needed. Story of my life. and um,
1: <laughs> You made your own list.
0: You can count on me to, to do the work that's not needed and not do the work that is needed. That's what you get out of a relationship with me. Uh, No, I actually wrote up a list of five books that were my best books in 2021. And this was one of them. And Melissa's book is so challenging and so good and so necessary. So this was um, the live part of our Gravity Commons live podcast. We we took some Mm -hmm. time after this to chat with our community. And uh, I think we're going to do a learning lab on this coming up yeah. in our Gravity Commons community.
4: Yeah, I think that's right. I think it's uh, it's actually, it may be coming up um, this week. Oh, goody. Yeah, it is. Yeah, so this episode <coughs> uh, is, is dropping on March 22nd. If you're interested in The Learning Lab about this book and about this podcast episode, uh, we're doing one on Friday, March 25th at noon Eastern time, um, mm-hmm. so three days from now. And yeah, so and just join does. the Gravity Commons. Um, yeah, and uh, you can join us for that learning lab and get access to everything else that the Gravity Commons has to offer. Gravityleadership.com slash commons. Uh, you can get a free month uh, just to try to yeah. check it out and see if you like All it. All right. See if you like uh, hanging out with us. So
1: yeah, I'm sad. I'm sad I'm going to miss it. You're going to yep. miss the learning oh. lab? I'm going to miss the learning lab. I'm going to be skiing yep. with my family. Spring skiing. break. Skiing? Oh, mm-hmm.
4: oh, spring break. Yep. Yeah. A lot so. of people are going on spring break. This coming
1: weekend.
4: Um,
3: Yeah.
1: Hmm. Well, good.
4: All right. Well, Well, anything else? Let's get into it. Should we get into it? Yeah. Yeah. Here's Melissa.
0: Melissa Floor Bixler joins us today on the Gravity Commons Live podcast. Melissa is a writer and a pastor who lives in Raleigh, North Carolina with her husband and three children. She pastors the Raleigh Mennonite Church. She has written for the Atlantic Sojourners and is the author of Fire by Night, Finding God in the Pages of the Old Testament. In the book we're discussing today, How to Have an Enemy, Righteous Anger in the Work of Peace. Melissa, welcome to the podcast.
2: Oh, so good to be here, Matt. Thanks for having me on today.
0: Yep. Yeah, and also uh, Christy and Ben. Hey.
2: Hey, hey, y'all. Good to be here. Yeah, welcome back, guys.
0: Yeah. Uh, Melissa, I uh, have been really excited to chat with you about this book um, because it's one of the best books I read last year in 2021. Uh, We're in a cultural moment where words like polarization, division, right? Uh, Unity get thrown around. And usually when they're talked about in the spaces that we, that I frequent, uh, what's discussed is um, how do we, how do we stop having so many enemies? How can we just get along? Uh, Your book is actually taking a different tact. Uh, It's actually a how-to manual of having enemies. So maybe by way of introduction, how did this book come to be Uh, for you, how did it crystallize? Maybe this was the way to frame the question rather than the prevailing predominant way.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I wrote this book um, as a way to also grapple with those questions for myself. Um, So I am part of the Mennonite church and if you think that words like polarization and unity get thrown around your world, let me tell you what it is like over here in pacifism. Um, so this very yeah. strong reaction to um, a sense of national conflict being um, exacerbated in a variety of ways. And um, what did that mean for us as peacemakers and a people of peace, a historic peace church? and. Um, and one of the dissatisfying responses to that uh, that that comes up frequently, maybe for you all too, is um, that that basically conflict at the end of the day is is interpersonal. Like the real problem is that we don't get along, that we can't have conversations together. Um, and in that, just, something felt amiss to me about that way of. Um, Assessing the problem and the magnitude of of what we're facing in this in this moment, which just took me back to scripture, um, to this, you know, when Jesus says, "Love your enemies." Um, before love your enemies is an is an assumption that you know who your enemies are, <laughs> right? Um, that you have them. That this is that there. This is the world we live in, um, and if we can't begin with that question before love your enemies, then Everything after just becomes sort of a gauzy sort of um, conflict avoidance, um, interpersonal smoothing over. Um, Mm. And actually, the gospel is so much better, so much better than that.
0: Mm. Mm. So, Jesus then assumes that something about his program, his kingdom initiative, uh, will necessitate the having of enemies. Um, yeah. Is
2: that fair? Yeah. And Jesus is like very good about making enemies everywhere he goes. <laughs> it's like a hey, it's, it's standard practice um, yeah. for Jesus.
0: Yeah. 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 So maybe then as a way in your, your tradition, the, the peace tradition is, is very keen on things like nonviolence, keeping the peace and you're sort of doing work within that. I think a lot of our listeners actually grew up in religious spaces that were keen on making enemies and they did it in a, uh, in a theologically wrapped cultural program known as the culture war. And so, um, you know, I, I think I speak for just some of the people here and I'm trying to like, how do we come to this conversation? Some of the people here have maybe reactivity, even like spiritual damage, harm, even maybe trauma around the idea that we have enemies right that there's these feminists out there or the the gay community or some people who we have to go after attack because they're coming for us so maybe as by way of in in that space in in what way are you using this idea of having enemies differently maybe than how it was wrapped in in a culture war christianity
2: mm. you know when when Jesus is talking about enemies, when Jesus uh, reveals to us the relationships of enmity in his own life among the people, among um, God's God's people, the Jewish people. The difference is that there's power, right? That that becomes a part of this equation, um, and that I think is a piece that is often missing, um, particularly in white evangelical spaces. Is um, is really a failure to grapple with the way that power makes possible relationships of harm, and in those relationships, of course, it's you know we can all we always talk about how people who enact harm on others are, are, are also being harmed by that, right? Like there is a destruction of your soul, a dehumanization to yourself by harming others. Um, and we also recognize that that harm enacted on more vulnerable communities produces a kind of relationship. That's actually, <laughs> Jesus doesn't do a lot of like, really feeling like he's got to protect the mission, right? From, you um, It's actually a very, um, Jesus actually believes in this, um, this whole, um, God's reign thing enough to think that it doesn't actually need protection from, um, from outsiders. Um, it is, in fact, everybody kind of involved eventually gets killed, um, in the, in the process, um, which is not like a great way to like start a new movement, just in case you were thinking about that (laughs) listeners starting a new religious movement. Um, Yeah. But, but there doesn't, there isn't a protectiveness about um, about that movement. That is what I think it's wrapped up in the language of enmity that we often hear in more conservative spaces. Mm.
0: Mm. Yeah. So there's a defensiveness protectionistic kind of thing that's related to keeping, consolidating or building power that we don't see uh, operating in Jesus's ministry. Yeah. Yeah, and that, ja- and, and that jacks us and, up.
2: Yeah, and that and in fact the primary action that Jesus takes is to try to Name the name the forces of death that are at work internal to these systems and to offer good news of of something reoriented, something remade, um, something that is the um undoing of those systems in this beloved community that comes in its place.
0: Mm.
4: Yeah. Um Melissa, I wonder. I wonder if we could just spend a little bit more time here on the, the idea of having an enemy. Um, I, I love that your book is sort of a how-to, it's a how-to book, you know? <laughs> how to get one, you know? Like if you don't have any enemies, uh, here's how to get one. Um, uh, I enjoy the the slightly tongue-in-cheek uh, title. Um, but, you know, you, you talked about Jesus having no problem, Jesus making enemies wherever he went. Um, and I, I think oftentimes we think, what we think of when it comes to making enemies, um, is, you know, Jesus walking around like poking people in the eye, you know, making people mad at him because he was, I don't know, being mean or saying saying uh, mean things or whatever. Like in a practical sense, what was Jesus doing that you're also sort of, adv- and you're noticing and you're advocating for us to do to have enemies? Like what did he do that, that, that brought about this condition called having enemies?
2: Yeah, you know, I, I mean, one of the clear promises from Jesus is that if we just do the do the Jesus things with our lives, Mm -hmm. um, it is going to be disruptive to our social relationships, our family relationships, our financial relationships, to our friendships, right? Like there is something, um, just about faithfulness to the gospel, um, that, um, produces disruption to the way things are, um, and in doing so, challenges the structures of power, right? And again, if you're thinking of enmity, um, not as who can I be the most mean to, but right. the, the what occurs when power is disrupted and someone makes a claim, right, to... Um, to, to things they haven't had access to before or says i'm not going to participate in this system anymore um then what we get is a relationship that we call enmity right um yeah. a yeah. challenge for that power
4: yeah mm. i think that's i think that's helpful and important because i the, in the conversations that matt alluded to earlier polarization you know a lot of these kinds of things i think i think there is a we we devolve very quickly in our, our imaginations for what's what's going on right now. It's easy for us to just think, oh, if there is enmity, if somebody is upset with me, if somebody has a problem with something I'm doing, like immediately the first thing we start to think about is how to make them not upset with me. Like, how, how to smooth this over? How to, you know, like some of what you talked about in the, you know, in your peace tradition as well. Like, how do we, how, how do we do, how do we smooth this over so that we, we can have sort of nice feelings about being together? Uh, instead of just sort of maintaining the faithfulness and sort of letting the chips fall where they may. Like, like you said, you know, a lot of, a lot of people get killed uh, because they, they refuse to participate in these systems or they insist upon speaking uh truthfully about this or that um you know uh, power power situation so i think that's really helpful um and it, it's it's just clarifying so i just wanted to say thank you
2: yeah you know as you're saying that you know i i do think it's it's um there's, a, you know, I think the the paradigmatic story for us, you know, is you turn the other cheek, this mm-hmm. sort of, that, right. and, and I think that's really one of the places where you see Jesus really solidify for us this refusal to participate in the system anymore. Um, mm-hmm. A system that is mutually dehumanizing and destructive, right? Yes. It is destructive to the Roman garrison to be in a position of occupation and destruction of the Jewish people in um in in jerusalem and the surrounding judean area right that is destructive to them and it is destructive for um people in an oppressed situation to to continue to to participate in the system of vengeance and retribution yes um and so jesus just you know it's like i i I encourage you not to participate any longer <laughs> in that system. Yeah, and yeah. we're going to do this thing over here called yes. the reign of God. And then we just invite everybody to participate in it because yes. this is actually the good life. Like this is right. what a good life looks like.
4: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, we, we get into this like love that's, that's how you love your enemies. Then is you refuse to participate in evil, you know, um, with them you, you and you, you disrupt, you faithfully disrupt systems uh, of harm and oppression that people are caught up in, like that's that's how you love an enemy. Yeah, that's right.
1: No. Yeah, yeah,
0: mm-hmm. that's good. So, yeah, Chrissy, go ahead.
1: No, I was just going to ask because I think a lot of our listeners, at least for me, when I when growing up, the only thing I knew to do for enemies was to pray. Like that's what I was taught. Right, that's like what's preached or taught in Sunday school or whatever. I wonder if you could double click on like how does prayer play a role in how we have enemies.
2: Mm. Yeah. And, you know, Christy, I'd be interested to hear more too about if your experience was not only just pray, but like pray, like good thing. Like <laughs> I pray that, you know, we will be friends someday. Right. Right? Is that kind of the idea? Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. right? I was like, Oh, we're going to be BFFs if I just pray long enough, you know? Yes. Yeah. Um, and so I, d- I don't even, I don't think it's just the, um, that you pray for enemies, right? Because we're told to do that. Um, but what is the content of that? Yes. Right. Yes. Um, because prayer looks like a lot of things right. in the Bible, including these psalms that cry out for justice that um that that name fully the harm and damage that has done by an enemy and release it to God. Um yes in the fullness of that terror and trauma that has been visited upon us or our community, our nation, our people. Um, and then, um, but if, but that, um, so the, how do we honestly pray for enemies? I think it's like the question right. for me, like, how do we right. say, um, actually my prayer, uh, for Donald Trump actually has been the Magnificat right. Um, Cast the mighty down from their thrones. Like I have prayed that um, not only because it's an honest prayer about myself, but because I think like being on a throne is not good for that man either. Right, Like that is um, clearly not a good place for someone who is a narcissist to be like, they need to be in a very different kind of world. Um, And so I, and and recognizing that sometimes we don't even know how to pray, right. We just, our, our prayers are these groans of just saying, God, I stand before you, um, and the total destruction of this moment and say, um, I have nothing left to give, um, what, what remains here for
1: me. Yeah. It sounds to me like lament and like really being honest with God. Um, I just recently led some people through a time where they just wrote out laments to God and really poured their heart out about a situation, a person, a circumstance. And then we just had like a gold bowl in the middle of the room. And I was like, when you're done, just put your lament in there as a way of releasing it, because I think we need to practice that Um, and we need to, I mean, that's one way to be able to do it. So thank you for that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, you know, I think even pushing to like, do we have spaces for communal anger? You know, like, are there places where um, we can, we can, we can manifest the anger that perhaps doesn't feel like it fits anywhere in in healthy ways? And I think, you know, that depends on your community and who's present and what the questions are. But that's just something kind of ringing around for me, too.
5: Hi, my name is Carol from Fergus, Ontario, Canada. When I think about the years in my GLA cohort, I am filled with fond memories and gratitude. I looked forward to our time together each week. In my second year, although I was the only woman and Canadian and only one of two non-pastors, This group saw how God was working in my life and encouraged me along the way as we processed our Kairos moments together. I was at a point of transition in my life and having people who were learning the same things and processing with them was incredibly valuable for me. We were all from such different places and contexts, but it didn't matter. We helped each other see the world through the eyes of Jesus. This was a safe and encouraging space to process what I was going through and to equip me to be a leader who noticed the activity of God in my life. I'm so thankful for the work of Gravity Leadership.
1: To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com slash academy.
0: Melissa, how you highlighted the difference maybe of how we're trained to pray for enemies, which is pray for their good, um, and how um, often scripture doesn't, doesn't pray the, quote, good prayer for enemies, but prays the real prayer for enemies mm-hmm. uh, or the honest prayer for enemies. And sometimes there's some spiritual bypassing that I think happens in our communities where anger isn't an emotion that is Christian. So we're, we're taught that anger, we have this jacked up dysfunctional relationship with probably many emotions, but anger is one of them. And we got this belief that it's untrustworthy or unhelpful. It gets in the way and even can be hurtful, right? So many of us, I think, have experienced being angry and that anger hurting someone else or someone else's anger hurting us. Um, And so that contributes, at least for me, to having this maybe confused, or non-integrated relationship with my anger, but in this book you contend for a righteous anger. So help us with this. Uh, anger can be dangerous, but you're also saying anger can be righteous. How do we navigate that?
2: Yeah, and and you know one of the one of the pieces along with that is that some people. Depending on their racial, gender, class, location, are celebrated for their anger, right? I mean, Josh Hawley, every time he gets on, you know, somewhere on Twitter, that's this is this is capital that's traded, right? Um, Anger, outrage. um, And if you get the same response from someone like Cori Bush, if you get some of the, um, that that this we we get this trope of the angry black woman, right? Like this is um, this is a this is a social parody in our in our uh, here in the United States. Um, and so, what I think the gift of church is is that actually provides us communal space to do that work of negotiation, right? Like when is um, when is my anger. Um, uh, suitable because, um, because I'm white, right? Like this is, um, because these are the things that my people are worried about or anxious about. And so it's, so they have, so there's voice for them here. Um, whose anger does not show up because it isn't socially acceptable. Um, who are we, who's allowed to be angry in public? Um, and that can really only happen, um, when we build the kind of communities um, that can that know each other well enough, that trust each other with those questions, that can say, you know, Matt, as you were saying, this is not a this is not a helpful time for my anger to be public, right? Or I recognize what my body communicates in anger at this moment. Um, um, And so this is how I need to do it or how this anger needs to be a part of a different kind of co-conspiring or to speak through another bit, right? All of that can only happen um, in communities that trust each other and have built up the capacity to say, um, we actually have a way to 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 go through anger to the thing that's on the other side. Um, it's, you know, anger is never just for the sake of itself. Um, it ta- anger takes you somewhere. It shows something. It highlights something. It sets something on fire. Right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's doing work. Yeah. And and it's it's scripted based upon gender, class, race, etc. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um gosh, there's so many ways to go here, Melissa. Uh, I'm thinking through sort of the New Testament um, as a whole, and what it has to say. and I'm wondering how you put all these things together, so I'm kind of lay them at your feet, uh, and you can pick up whatever you want and just ignore whatever you want. But I'm thinking of these these passages that Paul has, right? Because I think a lot of us carry in our bodies, that Christians don't have enemies. That's part of what we do. We no longer see each other, right, from a worldly perspective, right, and 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 our our uh, we don't wage war against flesh and blood, right. It's actually we wage war against these principalities and power, powers. And you know, Christ tore down that wall of hostility, so now we can make peace. And I I wonder, um, we're taught that it's wrong, then to have kind of enemies because of these like theological things that we take from Paul and, and, and kind of put them together in this bricolage of we don't have enemies. How does your book speak to this or understand this?
2: Yeah, there's um, a sermon illustration that Karl Barth uses. It's like, this is my official Karl Barth moment here in this podcast. I, I knew it was coming.
0: One. I just didn't know. You how knew it was there.
2: coming here. It is just, yep. Yeah. Um, he uses this really great sermon illustration where he talks about how at the end of, um, World War II, there was this little Island off the coast of Japan, um, where this, uh, soldier had been marooned everyone else. who crash landed. Everyone else had died. Um, and then on the mainland, the war ends, the war ended, um, And so they um, were searching these islands. They noticed this fire, that this man was on this island. They go to tell him that the war is over. Um, And he starts shooting at them. (laughs) Um, He thinks they're the the enemy. Um, That's the only only possibility. So they keep going for years, trying to get this man to lay down his gun because the war is over. The war is over. Um, And he just can't, like... Um, he's been so deeply acculturated into the mindset of war, into what, into protecting the nation and protecting himself that he can't, he cannot imagine an end to the war. Um, and I really think that that's the, such a helpful way to talk about the world that we live in now the war is over right like this is all available to us um and we continue to act like we continue to fight we continue to act as if it's not um the reality is um that jesus has come and redeemed all things um in to god's self um all things are made are made whole um uh, the old is gone, the new is come, right? All we live in that reality. Um, and we still hoard money, right? We still are we, we still believe that we, um, that, that we have to build up this massive military, right? Like we continue to live in the old, in this old reality. Um, and so that doesn't change because, because of this, because Jesus has come to redeem all things. Um, but what what we do in with the good news is we try to convince people to put down their guns because the war is over. That's actually like what the that's the that's the role of the church.
0: Mm.
4: I love that. Yeah. I uh, uh anecdote. Uh, I oh go ahead. Ben. Can you guys hear me? Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I uh I used that as a. I didn't know that came from Bart, but I used that as a sermon illustration like three years ago preaching Luke six, the Sermon on the Plain. Um, like Jesus' announcement, right, of blessings and woes is basically his announcement that the war is over. Like, you know, yeah, so, so woe to you who are rich. You guys are piling up, you're, you're piling up wealth for no reason, you know? Like you, you've got your, you've got it all, you've got it all wrong. Um, how, how does that, how does that then create, like if we're just trying to convince people to put their guns down, like the fact that we have enemies means that, you know, people don't put their guns down? They're they're starting to shoot at us. They think that we're the enemy. And so is that kind of how how this kind of uh, works its way into the fact that Christians have enemies?
2: Yeah, right, because... There is this deep sense of if I don't protect my people, family first, my mm-hmm. you know, if, if my um, nation doesn't have the, the best military, if I don't say if I don't hoard my money for another day. And so to have someone come in and say, actually, we don't need to live in, in a country. We need to actually like take apart this racialized system of white supremacy we live in. That's incredibly threatening, right? right. If
3: right. if
2: you have been, if you believe <laughs> that yeah. that you're still living by by these right. by, the, by these this rule,
4: yeah, your whole world's invested in it, and so it's like you're you want to destroy the world is what you want to do. That's the accusation right. to that's Christians right. when they're acting in faithfulness, mm. and in a way, we do, or yeah. we're just declaring that it's already done.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, Melissa, then I want to pivot. You mentioned, you know, white supremacy. You mentioned capitalism. So, the, like, two, two enemies, white supremacy and mammon, at, at the end of your book. But before we get there, to take this Bart metaphor uh, and maybe over, overuse it to a pedantic degree, what is insufficient about one by one just inviting that person who refuses to put their guns down to dinner? Like, so there's this powerful myth of the meal, that the meal, it was Jesus's um, main way of healing division. And if we can just recover eating and drinking together, we can have zealots and tax collectors at the same table, and then uh, we can sing Heal the World with Michael Jackson, and we'll be fine. What What is insufficient about that, or what is that miss, according to how you see it?
2: Yeah, you know, I I do think that there is um, a lot of hope in our relational work that we do in the world, and that eventually it will run up against some material reality. Right? Um, and that is really when the question comes up about what are you going to do now with your life, um, which is what I think is... Is what we what we see happen in these uh, stories of shared meals, which, you know, if, if we dig a little bit deeper into why these were so conflictual, like I don't even think you need to, you know, a lot of historical critical work to do this. If you just read these stories, you're like, oh wow, this is not a potluck. Like something is something is happening here that everybody's upset about. There's this lady running it; she's like weeping, and then there's this other story with like this chart, like some kind of social order is happening here right um and that order um is being disrupted somehow by jesus right it's i think that we can sense that that is there and it is that's um these are you know i when i teach these stories i i often say that the best way to actually think about this is more like a Board meeting <laughs> where you have, you know, your interns who are like hoping to like get a little bit closer to the main action. But then you have your corporate board in the inner circle, and um, and you're trying to like make a deal with this guy who's showed up and he's got a, obviously got like he's like healing people and, like raising them from the dead. Like, of course we want to have that guy like on our team, right? Like that's that's the good stuff. And um is like actually you should have the interns sit at the inner at the inner table and all the CEOs um should actually like you actually are like in the same social class as your interns that's basically what jesus says um and by the way um none of you is the coo i am <laughs> i own All y'all, everything here is actually mine, Um, but thank you for inviting me and giving me this job opportunity. Mm. Um, That's actually a little bit, I think, closer to what's happening here than our Mennonite potluck after church. Um, And so we have to, I think we have to do a better job with reading in between the lines about the social power that Jesus is really disrupting um, in these meals. Yeah. I'm so
0: glad you said that. My mind went immediately went to, you know, using your metaphor. Uh, that one time Jesus invited not even that intern, but that unhirable woman, who then he told the CEO, she should be, she should be running your table, not you. Um yeah. so this, it's massive social disruption and it's it's creating conflict when it doesn't have to be created. So Jesus could play nice. Jesus could quote keep the peace, but he chooses to inhabit a social structure that reifies and compounds maybe social stratification and injustice. And he chooses to allow maybe what some would call like an eruption of what was really happening under the surface. Um, and this is this is, I think, the the brilliance of Jesus, is that he realizes. If you are going to do the work of peace, some people will get angry at you. Like it's, it's a part of the, it's a part of the deal. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. Um, Well, maybe as we turn towards the closing of the public time of our chat, um, Melissa, I wonder then if we get a little more practical about what does this work of peace look like? When it comes to the things that are set up against the knowledge of God, you know, the things that we can't serve alongside God. And and you mentioned two main ones in your book. There's others, but two main ones being mammon and and whiteness or this, this hegemony of white supremacy. What does it look like? Maybe just populate our imaginations a bit. What does it look like for us to become enemies of mammon and enemies of white supremacy?
2: Mm. Yeah, you know, that's a great question because I think what um when people hear that at first, I think the f- perhaps the first images oh, I just need to, you know, I'm going to have to get rid of everything that I own. I'm going to like, I'm going to be, I'm going to, Jesus wants me to be impoverished, right? That's, that's sort of the direction that I'm, that you're saying it's totally impractical doesn't make any sense. It's so much harder than that. Um, Jesus actually is more interested in people looking to disrupt the systems that they, that they cannot extract that we cannot extract ourselves from, right? Like there's no outside. To the system of mammon that we exist in. Um, and this is a, you know, this has been a been a problem for Mennonites because, you know, we like to be the quiet in the land, want to go like live in these cloistered communities where we're not, you know, infected by the world. Um, that has not worked very well for us, right? Like things get complicated very quickly. You need medicine, you need a hospital, right? Whatever it is. Um, so I think the first thing is just recognizing that purifying ourselves from either white supremacy or mammon is actually just not the like the end goal here. Um, what Jesus actually invites us to is to find ways to disrupt those systems from um, from from within them. Um, and so one of the examples that I've given before is. Um, getting people out of jail, um, by paying their bail, right. Um, that's a system. If we all just got people out of prison or out of jail by that system could not survive any longer. Right. Yeah. Um, if we participated in, um, in every, if every church gave money towards writ medical debt, that system could not withstand it. Could not withstand that pressure anymore, right? Um, and so we participate, and it's there's still something about the witness of being able to say, um, in our church, we're just going to pay off people's loans. <laughs> like you know, you you have this you have this debt. Um, maybe you even got it because you made a bad choice. Like there's no um, there's no righteousness about this at all, right? You made a bad decision. You should have done this, X, Y, it doesn't matter. Um, this is still an economic system that is built off of um chaining you to this debt for the next 10, 20, 30 years, and it affects your life. Um and so our witness is just to say, we're gonna, we're gonna pay that off. Um, um that, you know, one one more little uh shrink in the armor of the of the system of debt in our country. Um and so there's this there's this is real hope for these imaginative transgressive spaces that um that we can dream up together uh, for how to be a part of that disruption. Mm.
0: Yes. I wonder, Melissa, as we close, um and this I don't know if this is a good closing question to ask, but um your your I've I've heard you say this before that you're trying to get as many people out of prison as possible, empty the prisons, basically. Um, That is intuitive for you about why that is attacking or becoming an enemy of mammon and white supremacy in ways that it maybe isn't intuitively connected for some listeners. So could you, uh, could you just maybe explain why that tangible concrete practice is is, uh, rattling the architecture of those two enemies of the kingdom of God.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I, um, if, you're a white person like me. You may not be as familiar with the criminal justice system um, because that is a system that has um, systematically targeted black and brown people um, in this country. Um, and and so part of my learning and um, coming face to face with the um, criminal justice in our country um, is the way that bail works. Um, and a very quick overview of that is... Um, if I get um, speeding tickets and I can't pay them off, um, I can be sent to jail. Um, and I um, am charged a amount of money to get out of jail that's called bail. Um, and there are only, um, I can pay that bail. I can go to a bail bonds person and the bail bonds person will then um, charge me extra so that's its own sort of system that is predatory off people in this position but don't forget the reason i'm in jail in the first place is i can't pay my tick my my tickets it's not necessarily because i'm dangerous or that i'm gonna hurt somebody um because if i um almost every crime has a certain amount of of bail net, right? You all may remember Kyle Rittenhouse. It was like a million dollars. This is a person who killed two people. But because white supremacists raised money for him, he was able to get out, right? So bail is a system that penalizes the poor. It is, a, it is at its heart. If you can pay, it doesn't matter how dangerous you are, you are going to get out. Um, And what a lot of people may not know is also how many people are incarcerated in jails because they can't pay bail. We don't have like all uh, we don't have firm numbers on this because they're always changing. But it can be up to as many as half of the people who are currently who are incarcerated at any one time are there simply because they cannot afford to leave. And once you can't afford to leave, it means that you're there until you either pay the bail or until your trial. So we've heard about these horrific stories of people who have been in prison without trial for years at a time, years of their life spent in prison um, before trial, simply because they cannot make bail.
0: Yes. Adding to that, the 20% longer terms that black people serve for the same crimes that white people commit adding to that the eight times as many convictions for the same crimes black people do to white people you know adding to even in jesus's day it was debtors prison so prison has always been linked to criminalizing poverty um and how that is caught up in a larger capitalistic system where we valorize i think wealth and we uh in poverty always has a pejorative stigma to it and so I guess I just wanted you to populate that for us, because I think in order to be about the work of justice and peace, we will have to learn how to oppose injustice and violence. And the people who are in the, with the guns in the hills, they won't like that very much.
2: Yeah, 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 absolutely. And because we we are so often happy with a facade of safety rather than actual safety, right? Mm-hmm. That's the um, we would we'd rather have um, our some form of safety on the backs of black and brown people in our country than actually begin to think about. Repair and accountability and what it means for communities to be made whole after harm is done, um, and as long as we have prisons, we will not cultivate the imagination to make that happen. It's just too easy to put someone in Rikers uh, for the next three years while they await their um their sentencing um, it's just we will we will continue that until um, it's no longer an option
0: yeah. Well, the book is called How to Have an Enemy, Righteous Anger, and the Work of Peace. This is the end of our public podcast, Gravity Commons listeners. We're going to continue with some Q&A with Melissa. Uh, Melissa, this book is uh, profound and prescient and needed right now. So thank you so much for writing it and being with us today. Thanks.
2: Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Melissa.
1: You guys, I wish I lived in Raleigh, North Carolina. <laughs> I would take her out for coffee because I have some questions. I'm, I'd probably go to her church. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. That thats that was a, an important conversation. Yep. Uh, actually, in the comments time, and the question and answer time, I got a lump in my throat. Uh, just emotion got up there uh, just in trying to really dialogue and be honest about um, emotions and anger and all the things. And so... I'm thankful for that conversation. I'm wondering what you're chewing on after that.
4: Uh, (sighs) One one thing I'm chewing on, I'm chewing on a lot. Um, And I'm actually, I actually haven't read the book yet. Um, I've been meaning to read it and uh, finally, finally started it actually today, Hmm. (laughs) the day that we're recording this. (laughs) Um, uh, And so I'm looking forward to, yeah, reading it, uh, kind of in pr- preparation for this series we're doing on Mammon for Lent at our church. Um, but also, I got to preach. I got to preach on Luke 6, Love Your Enemies. So yeah. trying to figure out what that looks like. Work it out. Um, anyway, uh, all that to say, one of the things that I'm chewing on is um, her saying that anger is meant to move us. It's meant to like, like, move us into action, I think is something, like, is something that she said. Um, and that, that uh, I don't know, I, that's really striking me um, for some reason, that there is a, there's a purpose for your anger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's, it's meant to activate you in some way. It's meant to sort of say that something's wrong mm-hmm. and something needs to change. And, so, and the only way to find out what your anger is telling you is to allow it and, and to explore yes. it in a safe environment. I, I love what she had to say about the church being that kind of an environment. Where we explore, like, what is, what, like, what's an appropriate avenue for this anger? Mm
0: -hmm.
4: Because otherwise, you know, otherwise, like she said, it eats you, it eats you alive. People literally die of heart attacks if they have, like, unresolved uh, anger, right? Um, It eats you alive, or there's this rage that takes over and it pushes you into destructive action. Mm -hmm. I think that, like, we need, we need spaces, like, I, I, I would hope churches could be these kinds of spaces where we can lament and grieve and wail and, you know, rage together. Yeah. But then, you know, in the presence of Jesus, learn what it looks like to channel that towards redemption, restoration, repair. You know,
1: Ben, as you say that, I think two things. Number one, churches first have to acknowledge that emotions in and of themselves are not bad nor good right yes. we, it, it's it's an it could be used for bad or good anger in itself is not bad mm, right. um, but how we use it yeah. and I, I don't think that that's taught um, no. but then one, so that has to be taught right mm-hmm. and then that has to be also modeled from leadership, I think, right. and from people within the church to, to be able to model these emotions in healthy ways and express them. And so then I think the second piece is that mm. churches need to create environments where people can do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, we have a the longest night at our church in December of mm. a lamenting service. And mm. it really is, um, I mean, to, it is the longest night of the year, but it also is this time of Lamenting all the pain and anger and grief that we have maybe had built up in us in and in, in a place to express that. I think we need more of that within yeah. our churches.
4: Uh, yeah. Do you do that on December 21st? You do it on the winter solstice? Yeah,
1: yeah, we do. Huh.
4: Right before Christmas. Yep. During Advent, and, and I kind you know, like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, I think, especially around Advent and Christmas, like, it's all supposed to be happy, clappy, and mm-hmm. and it's not. You know, right, for a right.
4: lot of people, yeah. this is well, we're big
0: on heaven. This is all Ben needs is another feast day <laughs> that he wants <laughs> to this is do a fast.
4: This is not a feast day. This is, this is a special another yeah, fast special, day. A special service. Uh,
0: you know, you know what struck me, services. Christy, was the all the things that capture our anger, the banal things, or is it banal? Um, heard the banal. Okay, yes. it's all but the banal things that <laughs> catch our anger for a long time. Right. So you know. I mean I think in in a lot of our traditions it, there was the worship wars in the mm-hmm. 1980s right Yeah Some yeah. people were some like chairs. the organ and the choir and some people were like electric guitars right <laughs> And and people pues were so chairs. angry about it so yeah. angry And I'm just noticing like how many things have I given anger over to that are that are banal Yeah And and then the things that Melissa's talking about is, like, here's this woman who, without a trial and without the person who probably is more responsible than her, is going to be put to death. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And yeah. And, like, that injustice actually is what my anger is for. I think our anger actually is, does good work if it's directed towards things that are worth being angry about. One of the things I notice is that I give my anger away to things that inhibit me from moving into the world to oppose injustice mm-hmm. um, so that's one thing i'm I'm noticing from this conversation and then i I don't know. I think I could listen to her talk for another sixty minutes about mm-hmm. emptying the prisons, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Right? Because I think this cuts, there's so much to unpack there. There's so much. We had uh, Dominique Du Bois Gilliard on a number of years ago about his book Rethinking Incarceration, which talks about um, some of the issues with our criminal justice system and uh, the prison industrial complex and all of that. But I think we often don't, it's out of sight, out of mind. These people are removed from us. They're and if nobody is in our family is in prison, I can go a whole day and not have to think about a prisoner. And there's two million of them. Right. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. I, just this past just this past week, just a couple of days ago, uh, somebody who's an asylum seeker in our church, who's been living with a host family for a year, finally got his ankle bracelet removed. Wow. It was supposed to have been removed. Am I right, Ben? Like, within weeks. Of his release, yeah, I can't remember. I, I remember actually.
4: Like, I remember actually when I first heard it, I was like, I, I actually didn't realize that
0: it hadn't been removed. I, <laughs>
4: I had neither. Like, what?
0: But I, I was just like, that. That's. But that's this crazy. person's living in our midst. We see. We see yeah. them regularly, yeah. and they've been waiting for this ankle bracelet to get mm-hmm. off their leg, and I. I guess. I guess I just okay. Uh, the injustice of the criminal justice system goes far beyond that, but. I, I'm just struck by how it's not common knowledge in high school youth groups that to be a Christian who opposes mammon and white supremacy, we're going to have to do something about our prisons. Yeah. It's just I, not common knowledge. Yeah. And I think, yeah. yeah, who who could we become as a people if that's if that became common knowledge?
4: Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think it's... Um, I felt encouraged to when she was talking about those things because I, I think there are when you start to learn about the systemic nature of some of these things like it does feel overwhelming like how, how are we going to change the prison system? How are we going to change our political system? How are we going to change this? You know? Um, and uh, but I, w- I was encouraged by the fact that I think you know one of the things I heard you just name there Matt is we can talk about these things right? So we can talk about them. How these things are all connected, and, and educate people, and help help people into that. We can also advocate for systemic change, but that also then can translate into well, let's just get one person out of prison, you know, or let let's you know let's host a, uh, a an asylum seeker, yeah. let's host a refugee family. Like there there are like little little things that you can do that are very concrete acts of solidarity that are part of. Maybe a larger project of dismantling a system or a structure that's causing that yeah. uh, that oppression. But,
1: and when we do that, mm-hmm. it, it captures other people's eyes. Mm-hmm. Like, why are you doing that? Why are you hosting this refugee family? Why are you whatever? And, and then they see a more full picture, a more beautiful picture of yeah. Jesus, right? Yeah. And maybe that then... Yeah. Uh, inspires them and, and shows them a different way yes um, and then you know that type of thing
0: I can't I can't so. tell you how many conversations I've had about do you know that when people legally present themselves at the border for asylum they are incarcerated and put in shackles do you did you know that no I didn't know that yeah we treat we treat political refugees, who abide by the law of our land yeah. as criminals they are in they're not detention centers they are jails and that's just the tip of the iceberg of the jacked up penal system right we serve a God who heals us with love and we think we're gonna heal badness with penalty like we have an issue so I'm thinking about that today um, yeah it's yeah. It's it was such a good. I I, uh, I encourage you to read the book How to Have an Enemy. It's super readable, super profound. Each chapter takes about ten or fifteen minutes, but it'll it'll change your life. <sighs> All right. Well, 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 friends. well, well. guys. So I heard an want interesting. To change your life, everybody. I heard a. Speaking of changing your life, I heard an interesting fact I I hadn't heard before. You guys want to hear it? Oh, okay. Sure. Uh, what is Whitney Houston's favorite coordination?
1: What is Whitney Houston's favorite coordination? I don't know. I don't know. Hand
0: eye! (laughs) I think it's that that one. Oh, the hand-eye
4: coordination. Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. We cannot end everyone with you belting out a song. See ya. (laughs) Thanks for listening.
0: Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you're finding it helpful or enjoyable, we'd love it if you'd tell your friends about
4: it. Ratings and reviews online also help others find the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And you can join our Gravity community online for free at gravityleadership.com slash join.
1: You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as our email most Fridays with curated links to articles we find interesting and helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join.
0: Our podcast is produced by Ben Sternke and Matt Tebbe. Aaron Sternke edits and mixes the show. You can check out his work at Aaronsturkey.com
4: We'd love to hear from you. To record a question or comment for us, go to gravityleadership.com slash message and click the start recording button.
1: You can also email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time.